0: Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Naveen Kapoor. Naveen is the Assistant Director, Assistant Professor, and Interventional Cardiology Center Investigator at the Molecular Cardiology Research Institute. He is here to discuss how pressure volume loops impact outcomes in back research and clinical therapies. Let's jump in.
1: is how did you successfully perform biventricular PV loops in the MICE example that you brought up? And, you know, could you elaborate on the procedure a little bit on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, so the technique, you know, was one that we were basically just playing around with, was whether or not we can do it. And the first step was to just get the RV loop and see whether or not we were getting a good right ventricular pressure volume loop. We were able to do that pretty easily. And, of course, the left ventricular loop we have been acquiring for some time. The idea of doing them simultaneously required us to have two, two consoles for each conductance catheter. And then using two separate conductance catheters, we were able to test whether or not there would be an interruption of the electrical fields. That was one of our concerns was that we might not be able to see them simultaneously very effectively. At first, and I have to say that there was some variability. There were some models where we were able to do the simultaneous bi-V approach, get very nice PV loops simultaneously with no field disturbance at all. You can change the uh, frequency of the field, so you could, uh, that did help in some cases to try to give us a good look at the pressure-volume loops. Ultimately, this has now become a standard approach for us to do biventricular pressure-volume loops in our mouse PV loop studies. And what we're doing now is we're doing it sequentially. So we'll do the uh, we'll do the RV loop or the LV loop first, acquire it, and then do the other and then activate the other catheter, even though both are indwelling at the same time to basically just get the loops, you know, in rapid succession right next to each other under the same steady state conditions. So that's another approach that can be done. We did publish that technique in PLOS One, and I think in there we sort of detail out the technical aspects of how to do it. And if you have any further questions, certainly feel free to reach out to me, and I can connect you with Mark Ronovitz and our team, who have really perfected the technique. Great.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'm sure the audience can definitely appreciate, as you were alluding to the surgical expertise required to carry out such a, such a procedure. All right. Uh, so moving on, another question. Can you give any advice for a new PI or researcher tasked with implementing PV loops in a group with no real hemodynamic or surgical experience, uh, just to help lower the learning curve and make for a smooth implementation? What would you suggest?
0: Yeah, so I think that you know when you're quote unquote tasked with that, with that, with that need or that in, that need for that information, I think the best thing to do is, is to partner and collaborate. Uh, you know, the best way to learn pressure volume loops is to try to work with someone or at least communicate with someone who's been doing them for some time. And you know, you pick up so much when you start doing the pressure volume loops or observing how they're being done. So I would suggest the first thing to do is identify experts in the field who you can connect with to discuss, first of all, the utility and then the technical aspects of the conductance catheter method uh, for preclinical research. The next area of resource, of course, is the company. So the company is very good and very responsive. You know, when we approach them with a biventricular loop approach, Millar was exceptionally responsive and very helpful in terms of just not only getting us the catheters but also troubleshooting and figuring out what the next best step is We had people on site who were um, able to help us troubleshoot the BiBi approach. So I think there's a lot of help out there, and the best way to start would be with other uh, scientists who are doing pressure volume loops and then, of course, connecting with the company and figuring out exactly what your setup is or what you need to get set up. And sometimes, if you're not able to set it up in your own uh, laboratory, it's simply partnering with someone who can do the analysis for you uh, or do the technique for you and provide you with the data. And along the way, you'll learn hemodynamics as you go.
1: Great. Yeah, and thank you very much. And, Tim, I have you back online. Would you like to add anything to Dr. Kapoor's response? Yeah, I think, I mean, his point about collaborating is really key, and that's one thing we try to do is connect groups, you know, with groups that we know or experience that have been up and running for, for many years. And that's always, I think, a good first step for a new lab is to reach out. And, again, you can reach out to Malar or, you know, other users that you might know in your area and we're always happy to try to connect people with other experts in their application. Great, well, thank you. So Dr. Kapoor, what do you see as a greater driving uh, force towards the adoption of technology like PV loops in routine cardiology? And on the flip side of that, what do you see as as the main uh, force holding it back?
0: I think that's a great question, a very appropriate question. So I think the driving force for uh, implementation of the technology, is the fact that heart failure has really become a a dominant problem, not only in the United States, but around the world. And and that's why we started with the images of the pandemic of heart disease. It's not going anywhere. And it is a significant burden on society. And so the more we can understand heart failure hemodynamics, as you've seen through hopefully some of these illustrations, it drives what we do clinically and it'll, dri- it'll drive the next round of innovations in drug therapy as well as device therapy for patients with heart disease. So the driving force, I think, is the fact that heart disease is growing and is a major problem and a burden on society. The limitations of holding it back, I think, are that you know pressure volume loops are not necessarily intuitive. They require a lot of at least focused understanding. These webinars, I think, are a great example of that, where I've even looked at webinars and had to really pause it, go back, listen to that again, make sure I understand it as much as possible. And so one of the didactics behind pressure and volume and making sure that that's taught not only in our our practices, but also back in medical school, as we start to think about how to train the next generation of physicians and scientists in the domain of pressure and volume. The other thing that's holding it back I think is, you know, the technology itself. There are some limitations of conductance catheter technology and the method. There's a lot of questions about the ability to employing the pigtails. As you saw it's actually quite simple. There are some tweaks that I think that can be made to the catheters that are not insurmountable by any means. Volume calibration is a major issue. And I think a lot of people will bring that up about looking at volumetric calibration, how to do that in man. These ventricles come in all shapes and sizes. And so to really get good reproducible volumetric data, we do a number of things. I like trying to correlate the volumes we're measuring with the conductance catheter with echocardiography, 3D echo in particular, as well as with MRI indices. There are some techniques, including the hypertonic saline injections, to look at volume displacement, et cetera. So I think that's one thing that will need to be worked out is how to optimize volume calibration with the catheters over time. So there are a few technical aspects that I think are are very surmountable. They can be overcome. But the driving force, I think, is so overwhelming in terms of the need for advanced understanding of hemodynamics to optimize patient outcomes and to drive innovation in the field. So that's how I would think about the yin and the yang of a conductance catheter method application.
1: Great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that is definitely great insight. And Tim, uh, may I ask, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think the, you know, the partnership between Millar and CD LACOM and customers like Dr. Kapoor, you know, that's really what we want to drive towards is optimizing outcomes and you know, taking the technology from where it stands now and advancing it along with, with the focus on heart failure and uh, cardiovascular medicine in general.